Section 9 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jake Melitzia. Antonia by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. However, her suspicions came to life again more than once. She watched Julian furtively at every word that she uttered, and he seemed always perfectly tranquil, but suddenly there came a revelation. As she was saying to Marcel that she did not wish to stand in the way of Julie's selling the pavilion, and that she would pretend not to regret the necessity of moving, Julian warmly remonstrated. "'Move again,' he said. "'We cannot do it. We spent a great deal considering our income in getting settled here.' "'Our uncle will attend to that,' said Marcel. "'If he makes you move, I will undertake to make him pay.' "'My dear fellow,' replied Julian, still very earnest, "'you are full of zeal and kindness for us. "'But you know very well that my mother does not like your appeals to Uncle Antoine, and "'that you have made them in a measure against her will, "'and that if my interests were not involved, she would have peremptorily forbidden them. "'Whether she is right or wrong in considering Monsieur Thierry a detestable creature "'is not for us to judge.' For my own part, however painful it may be to me, I will make all possible concessions to our kinsman's extraordinary character, but I do not propose that my mother's pride shall be wounded in her relations with him. No, no, I have no pride, cried Madame Thierry. I have none now, Julian. You work too hard. You will surely be sick if we refuse to treat with Monsieur Antoine. Whatever Marcel does, I approve, and if I must... Humble myself, I shall be happy to do it. Let us do our duty, pay all our debts before everything. Let us say to the Countess that it makes little difference to us whether we live here or somewhere else, so that she can sell at once and let Marcel say to Monsieur Thierry that we demand our rights or that we appeal to his generosity. Anything will satisfy me that will restore your health and peace of mind. My health is excellent, replied Julian warmly, and nothing except moving again will disturb my peace of mind. I like my studio. I have a picture under way. But you are talking selfishly, my child. You forget that the Countess is having trouble with her creditors, as we are, even more than we are just now. And do you think that Monsieur Antoine will save her by buying this old barrack? Marcel knows better. What I think, said Marcel is that Uncle Antoine will submit to any conditions that the Comtesse d'Estrelle chooses to impose on him. He will pay a high price, and he won't turn you out. Leave it to me, and I may bring him to something even more better. To what, pray? That is my secret. You shall know later, if I do not fail. Bless my soul, said Madame Thierry, abruptly changing the subject. I forgot to bring my snuff-box. Go and get it for me, Julian. Julian went upstairs, and his mother took advantage of the opportunity to say hastily to Marcel, Be careful, my dear child. A great disaster is hanging over us. Julian is in love with the Countess. Nonsense, cried Marcel in utter stupefaction. You are dreaming, my dear aunt. It isn't possible. Speak lower. It is possible. It is a fact. Arrange for us to leave these dangerous quarters at once. Find some way without letting him suspect what I say. Save him and save me. Hush, he is coming down again. Julian had done the errand in a moment. He was in a hurry to resume the conversation, 
but he noticed a shade of constraint in his mother's glance, a suggestion of bewilderment and surprise in Marcel's manner. He suspected that he had betrayed himself, and he at once assumed a cheerful and indifferent air, which did not deceive Madame Thierry, but which reassured the solicitor. So Marcel took his leave, saying to himself that he would sound his cousin some day, but fully persuaded that his aunt was losing her wits a little in the midst of all her excitement. But Marcel made a much more astonishing discovery, a discovery so truly astonishing that we beg our readers to prepare themselves for it a long while beforehand. Uncle Antoine paid his visit to Madame d'Estrelle. Madame d'Estrelle, without preparation or effort, was as charming, perhaps more charming, than at their first interview. She received the horticulturist with neither more nor less affability than a person of her own station. Being gifted with a penetration which made up for his lack of experience, he realised that his reception was unexceptionable, and felt that he had never been so well treated by a person of such high rank. He recognised, moreover, that she was entirely indifferent to the question of money, and that her condescension concealed no ulterior motive, not even the motive of effecting a reconciliation between himself and Madame Thierry, as she avowed it frankly and with a most earnest and confident expression of her desire. Marcel, seeing the gratification which his uncle derived from that interview, and which he almost forgot to conceal, realised that perfect sincerity was in some cases the shrewdest diplomacy, and that Madame d'Estrel had accomplished more for her protégés and herself than if she had attempted to use craft. Now, said Monsieur Antoine, without waiting to be questioned, we must settle this business of the pavilion. It is worth 40,000 francs to me. I know. I will give that amount. And as I propose to take possession at once, I owe it to Madame Thierry to submit to any claims she may make. I don't propose to have any discussion with that woman. So tell her that I will pay the 6,000 francs for which I made myself responsible and release her from any claim on that account. Here is my receipt, and if she needs a few more francs to pay the expenses of moving, I won't refuse to let her have them. Go, and don't let me hear any more of her troubles. But first of all, take the Countess my offer, which I think is rather generous, and tell her of my promise to indemnify her protégés to their satisfaction. Marcel, amazed but overjoyed, carried the good news first to Madame Thierry, who thanked heaven, and was very near blessing her brother-in-law for his determination to make her move instantly and at any price. Madame d'Estrelle was not so well pleased. She had seen the attractive widow again, and had already become very fond of talking with her. Moreover, she had some scruples. Monsieur Antoine's munificence seemed to her the foolish act of a parvenu, and therefore humiliating to her. He will think, she said, that I scheme to induce him to make this sacrifice, and that idea is abhorrent to me. No, I will accept only half of that sum. I much prefer to retain his esteem and my influence in behalf of the poor Thierrys. Go and tell him that I want but twenty thousand francs and a renewal of your aunt's lease. But my aunt is most anxious to move, Marcel replied. Remember that a sum of considerable importance to her is involved. In that case, give no more attention to her fares in my name, but take special care of my dignity which I place in your hands. This reply, being duly transmitted to Monsieur Antoine, 
caused an explosion which astonished Marcel. So she declines my services, cried the rich man, for I did intend to do her a service, knowing her embarrassment, and I went to her as a friend, since she had treated me like a friend. Ah, uh, you see, Marcel, she is proud, she despises me, and she lied when she told me that she esteemed me. Very good, if that's how it is, I'll have my revenge. Yes, I'll have a cruel revenge, and she shall have only what she deserves, and death of my life, I'll force her to go on her knees to me. Marcel silently scrutinised the angry rich man's still handsome and decidedly cruel face. What is this new mystery? he said to himself, as he watched the black eyes made larger by the fierce wrath which caused them to emit threatening flames. Can wounded vanity cause such an outbreak? Can it be that my uncle is on the verge of madness? Is this solitary, monotonous, preoccupied life too much for his strength? and has his persistent turning of his back on everything that gives light and warmth to the lives of other men finally caused derangement in his brain. Antoine continued vehemently, heedless of Marcel's careful study of his person. I see what the game is. She wants my sacrifices to help Madame Thierry. Well, I tell you that I snap my fingers at Madame de Zouel de Meuilly. It's a long time since I ceased to have either hatred or affection for her. Let her go to the devil, and don't let me hear her name again. I will pay 40,000 francs for the pavilion, or I won't buy it. That's my way of thinking. Matters remained in this position for several days, Madame d'Estrelle laughing at what she considered an attack of madness on the part of the old parvenu, and he, without Marcel's knowledge, acting in such a way as to put the finishing touch to that madness. He purchased secretly all the debts which were hanging over the Comte d'Estrelle's widow, and, without saying a word, placed himself in a position where he could ruin her or save her, according to the attitude she might assume with respect to him. He purchased on his own account, but under a fictitious name, and with a deed of defeasance, the house at Sèvres, with all its beauty and costly contents. He did not let it, but placed a caretaker there to keep it in order. All this was done in a few days and without regard to cost. Then, having artfully made inquiries of Marcel as to Madame d'Estrelle's intimate friends, he called upon the Baronne d'Encore, who received him with her grandest manner, but condescended to listen attentively when she learned that he had come to place her in a position to save Madame d'Estrelle from certain ruin. Their interview was long and mysterious. The servants at the Hôtel d'Encore who were exceedingly puzzled by such a conference between their haughty mistress and a man dressed like a peasant, heard the baroness's shrill tones, then the rustic voice in laboured and emphatic declamation. A dispute, in short, with intervals of raillery or merriment, for at times the baroness laughed until the windows shook. An hour later, the baroness hurried to Madame d'Estrelle. "'My dear,' she said in great excitement, I bring you five millions of poverty. Choose. Ah, an old husband, I suppose, said Julie. You cling to your idea, do you? A very old husband, but five millions, with a great name, of course. Not the faintest shadow of a name, a downright plebeian, but five millions, Julie. An honourable man, at all events. He is so considered. Have you decided? Yes, I refuse. 
wouldn't you do as much? Would you think well of me if I should accept? I said just what you say. I sent my man about his business. I laughed at him. He replied obstinately, Five millions, madame, five millions. And he must have convinced you since you are here. Convinced or not, I was surprised, dazzled. I said, like the queen, you persuade me strongly. Then you advise me to say yes. Don't say yes, say perhaps. Then you can reflect, and I will reflect for you. For at this moment, my brain is a little confused. Those millions intoxicated me. What would you have? The man is old. And before long, you will be free, and people will have done crying out against the misalliance. Besides, everybody knows that your own descent is not very distinguished. You will open a salon which will eclipse all Paris, and where all Paris will trample upon it to take part in your entertainments. For, when all is said, all Paris has only one thing in its head, which is to be amused and to go where people are amused. You will give balls, concerts, and theatricals. You will have artists, fine singers, and fine talkers. In a word, bright people to stir up and amuse the people of quality, who are not bright. Ah, if I had millions, if I had just two, I should know what to do with them. Come, don't think I am mad, and don't be cowardly. Accept the plebeian and opulence. And what about the husband's old age? An additional reason. Julie was indignant. Amelie was offended. They had a falling out. Madame de Encore had not mentioned the suitor's name. It had not occurred to Julie to inquire. She placed the matter in Marcel's hands, desiring that her refusal should be placed beyond question. She was afraid that her impulsive friend, in her anger, would compromise her by giving her protégé some reason to hope. Marcel went to Madame d'Ancourt to learn the name of the man with the five millions. Ah, she thinks better of it, does she? cried the baroness. No, madam, quite the reverse. Very well, I shall not tell you. I gave my word of honour not to mention any names, if the offer was rejected. Marcel went to his uncle. He had a suspicion of the truth, but he had not dared suggest it to Madame de Strel, thinking justly that she would reproach him for having brought her into relations with an insane old man. Moreover, he knew nothing of his uncle's fortune beyond the two millions which he admitted, and that figure which had often been repeated to Julie, and so had prevented her from suspecting the truth, went far to destroy Marcel's suspicions. Well, my little uncle, he said abruptly, as soon as he entered the room, so you have five millions, have you? Why not thirty? retorted the old man with a shrug. Have you gone mad? Marcel worried him with questions to no purpose. The uncle was inscrutable. Moreover, a most momentous event had come to pass on his domain, and his thoughts were completely diverted from his dreams of marriage. The mysterious lily, at which he had so often gazed, which he had watched and nurtured and watered so carefully, 
in the hope of being able to give it his name, had unexpectedly, during those few days of forgetfulness and neglect, put forth a sturdy shoot, which was already laden with swelling buds. Indeed, one of the buds had partly opened, displaying a corolla soft as satin, of an incomparable sheeny white, with bright red stripes. That exotic plant surpassed in oddity and in beauty all its congeners, and the frantic horticulturist, endowed with new life and almost consoled for his matrimonial mishap, exclaimed again and again, as he paced his hothouse floor in intense excitement, pausing at intervals to gloat over the budding of his plant. There it is! There it is! My reputation is made! That shall be the Antonia Thierry! All the other collectors in Europe may burst with rage if they choose. Well, well, said Marcel to himself. Is it the Antonia or the Countess that my uncle is in love with? End of section 9